Good evening. Bless the Lord and welcome to the house of God. Uh, we are getting ready to start worship. Um, let's all stand. Let's keep our brother also in prayer. I understand he's under the, under the weather um, and it seems to be going around. And we want to make sure that even though we know sickness has its course, that people recover as fast as possible. Uh, to start us off, before we pray and open the service, uh, I will read from Psalm 115. It says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has given, he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, praise the Lord. There is a song that says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everybody, last check in this room and the next, is breathing. So today, let's use that breath that God gave us to praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this coming together of the sons and daughters that you have called out of darkness into your marvelous light. We pray that you are with us during this time of service, that you lead us, that you edify us, that you encourage us, that you also give us that courage, that strength, that boldness from your Holy Spirit to praise you openly and without shame. We thank you for everything that you have given, and we pray that you are glorified tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. You are all welcome, and thank you for being here. Those of y'all that have been here, and those of y'all that this is your first time, uh, and let's praise the Lord together. Amen. Amen.
trust in God as we go through that tunnel, put our trust and faith in him, and so I get to share it with you, and, uh, and we up here get to share whatever you may be going through together as well.
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He's been my fourth man in the fire, time after time. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood.
light that shines in us There's no darkness in your way So have your way Lord, have your way Let's give him praise tonight going to come and lead us in a time of prayer. Um, just to let you know, if you weren't here earlier, we did uh, change the format a little bit. Um, and the reason being is because, if you haven't noticed, we are growing. And so growth necessitates the need to do things a little bit differently so that we can still be mindful of, of time and things like that. But just to let you know, um, even though Otto won't be going around asking for prayer requests now, if you weren't here earlier, there is a piece of paper that is over there in front of the box. The tithes offering slash rent box, basically the finance box. In front, of that, in front of that box, on that piece of paper, it will say name, prayer request, date, whether it's private or shared. If it's private, then only a few people will ever see it. If it's shared, then we will go over it on Tuesday, which is our prayer day. Well, so we spend an hour in prayer, either understanding prayer requests, going over them, concerns, and things like that. So they will be prayed for uh, deeply on Tuesday. So by all means, um, make use of that. And then if there is a prayer request that is urgent, by all means, grab somebody. I mean, it doesn't require a set time. Uh, there are people here after the service. There are people here before the service. And all of us would like to talk to the Father on each and every one's behalf. So let's welcome our brother Otto as he comes to lead us in a time of prayer. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Hello, church. I'm not going to take too much time because the pastor said, right? Um, what a blessing, right? All the, the songs that we, we played tonight. I was writing them all, like what he, what he was saying. We don't want anything but you, Lord. And then you open the eyes of our hearts to him, so it's just like perfect. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let's uh, bow our heads. And... Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here, allowing us to see a brand new day. As we open our eyes, Father God, thank you. Thank you for allowing us the, the Holy Spirit to uh, dwelling us 
And uh, tonight, Father God, we lift up uh, all of our desires of our hearts, all the prayer requests, all the praises, which is lift them up to you, Father God. We lift up uh, all the, the sick, that you give them a quick recovery. And that uh, we pray for those who can make it today. And uh, we just bless you, Father God, tonight. And uh, prepare our hearts. And uh, to receive your word, Father God. Let your Holy Spirit move in this place through our brother who brings the word. And uh, thank you so much. We love you. And we praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had forgotten how difficult it is to bounce around wearing so many hats. So one thing I am going to say is that as you have seen our brother Otto uh, sort of what we call host the service, uh, the, be the anchor for the service. Um, it's still something that we are working out, um, jokes and all. And so if there is anybody who is interested in being trained and to work with and doing something like this, um, talk to me. We'll get with Otto. Uh, Otto. Also, the other also. Um, so that uh, we want to get people involved, but we want to make sure it's done in decency and in order. And all things in the house of the Lord should be done in decency and order. All things. And so we want to get to that point. Again, not to say anything bad about what anybody has done even up to this point. It's been great all the way up to this point. All we're doing is fine-tuning it for the eventual day when, well, there's going to be a whole... We're going to get put out of this building because <laughs> we're, we're not going to have capacity. So we're just getting ready for that day. We're maturing as a church. We talked about growing pains um, a lot in the past several months, but we're maturing, and we want to make sure that we're following the direction of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Second Kings, the sixth chapter. And we're going to be reading verses 11 through 17, and we're just going to be focusing on that. Uh, for those of y'all that uh, are paying attention, last week we talked about Elijah. This week we're talking about Elisha. Now, forgive me if I make the same mistake that many of you have probably made and, and will make. And that is, every now and again, because Elisha and Elijah are so similar that I may turn around and say Elijah, but we're talking about Elisha. So if I put a ja in there, just mentally juxtapose a sha in there, because we're, talk <laughs> we're talking about Elisha. For those of y'all that um, aren't all that familiar with Elijah and Elisha, Elijah has a very, very uh, well-documented ministry within Israel uh, confronting the 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Ashtaroth and um, there's many miracles that are done through Elijah and at the end of his ministry or towards the end of his ministry he gets a little bummed out um, because he's warring continuously and he thinks he's in it by himself and so when he goes to a cave God shares with him there are many that you don't even know of that have not bowed their knee to Baal and Ashtaroth. I have them hidden away, a holy remnant. However, go and anoint this person, go and anoint this person, and then the third person he told him to anoint was Elisha, who is eventually going to take over the mantle for Elijah. 
And after so many years of walking with Elisha as a minister, basically as somebody who is a, uh, for those of y'all who are nerds, somebody who's a Padawan to Elisha, Elijah, um, Elijah gets taken up. He becomes a force ghost. And so, uh, all right, I'll stop with that. <laughs> he doesn't become a force ghost. Why? Not because there is no Star Wars, but because... He didn't die. Thank you, Eric. He didn't die. He was walking with Elisha, and all of a sudden, it was time for him to go up. A chariot of fire came and got him. Chariot of fire. And woof, there he goes. The end of Elijah, as we know it. And Elisha picked up the mantle and carried on in Elijah's stead. There are second kings. Did I say first kings? No, it's just not up there. Where is it? Oh, well, yeah, because I gave him to Eric late. It's been that kind of day. <laughs> second kings, chapter 6. Now, one of the things Elisha was good at is causing problems for opposite kings. Because now there's a king in Israel who is trying to do right. And because of it, Elisha is uh, informing him of the news given to him by the Lord as far as the enemy nation um, that is attacking him, which is Syria. So Elisha gets word that Syria's army is camped here. He goes and tells the king of Israel. The king of Israel smartly says, okay, well then we'll go over here. Then Syria decides to move its army. Elisha goes and informs the king. And guess what the king does? Well, we'll go over here. At some point, the king of Syria is getting a little upset because he thinks he's got a rat in the ranks. And really, they're telling him, everybody here is loyal. <laughs> we ain't the problem. Elisha's the problem. And he says, well, go get him. So what we're going to read is the king of Syria coming after Elisha and his servant. And what befell them next. So would you all stand as we uh, read God's word. We're reading 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 11 through 17. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and beheld, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this time to come together to study your word, to hear from your spirit. And we pray that it is your spirit that speaks through us, that you remove all of the hindrances aside and allow us to hear from you, to be able to fellowship your spirit and to be able to grow and not only grow and understand it, but be able to share it with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're talking about what you know versus what you see what you know versus what you see. And 
there's some of y'all that I've had the experience of hanging out with, Steve Barrett being one of them, Art being one of them, Kevin even being one of them, many of you, that some of the fields that you guys are in, um, I have no idea all of the nuances that you guys know behind that. Um, Brian. Brian can look at a ticker tape, uh, look at what's going on with the company and say, hmm, I know that this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. I would look at Brian and go, I have no idea what you're talking about because I can only go by what I see. But what I see doesn't tell me the whole story. There's a difference in what I see versus what I know. When I see these airplanes fly overhead, and every now and again, I like to go hang out at Kevin's house because it's close to where I used to live, and there's a real good view of the flight line, either there or here. On a day when you have monsoon season, really, really windy, just stormy conditions, you see these gigantic aircraft come in, and it looks like they're flying sideways, because in a sense, they kind of are. If you don't know, and you go by what you see, you will want to get in your car, grab your dog, and drive as far away from here as possible because one of them planes is gonna land on somebody's house. That's going by what I see. However, what I know after research and study is that they're doing a maneuver called crabbing. And that is that they turn into the wind so that as the wind pushes them, they can still fly into it and it balances out. But on really windy days, it looks kind of like this. When you see a 757, and uh, not a 757, uh, Airbus, whatever that was, a big one. Not the 380, but the other uh, big one. When you see that thing come in flying sideways from London, and these pilots, which fly in those kind of conditions anyways, are like, this is nothing. We're going to land this bird. And me and Luis and Blake, I think it was, are sitting over there just looking at these planes you're like, this isn't, this isn't bothering him nonetheless. He's probably seen worse. He's going to land this big old plane with 400 and something people on it in this airport because they've been on this plane for nine something hours and they don't want to fly around. <laughs> I would be upset if I'm on the plane and it's like, we're going to go around. No, you're not. You better figure out how to VTOL and land this thing because I do not want to go around after being on this plane for nine something hours. But what you know is different than what you see. What you see can be terrifying. But what you know is that these pilots understand what's going on, but it's all under control. As much control as you can have with crosswinds. There is a difference between Elisha and his servant. His servant is only going by what he sees. Elisha is going by what he knows. And so when the king of Syria decides to amass his army to come after Elisha, they do so in night. They march, they get to Dothan, they're surrounding him at night because their goal is to ambush him in the morning. And when I think of that, I look at some of the situations and circumstances, if not all of them, that we all go through. Not just Seku, not just Dennis, not just Mike. Not just anyone in this room, but all of us go through. We go through seasons. We go through day seasons where God's light is shining and everything is great. We go through night seasons where it's difficult, the light seems dim, 
it's cold, we don't know what's going to happen, all we see is the world around us because our vision is dim. We don't like night seasons, but if you look at botany, if you look at plants, it's interesting that during the day, they take in light. At night, they turn it into sugar. During the day, they feed. During the night, they grow. Psalm, the first chapter, says that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters whose bring forth its fruit in its season. Which means that if you're a tree planted by a river of water, you're not only going to see day seasons where everything is great, the light is shining, and you're just soaking up the word, soaking up the glory of God, soaking up everything going on. We love those moments. God's moving. We know it. We feel great. We sing songs. We, we dance and do cartwheels. Okay, maybe not the cartwheel part. And some of us struggle with the dancing. But we make a joyful seizure for the Lord. <laughs> but then, as the world turns, we enter into that night season where we feel alone. We feel abandoned. We feel like we're in darkness. We feel like our fellowship all of a sudden has changed. The Father isn't talking as much. The people around us seem a little bit more hostile. Maybe it's just inside. Maybe it's external. Whatever the case may be, during that night season is when instead of looking outward, we look inward to what we already have received to bring us forth into the new season. We look at what we've learned in the day. We look at the fellowship that we've experienced during the day season so that when that nighttime comes, we realize just what God has put on the inside of us and we start relying on it. Because during the day, who needs to rely on the word? The word is plentiful. Everything is going on. But during the night, when that word is scarce, you dig into yourself and say, Lord, what is it that you have shown me to sustain me in this time and season? It is not a fun time, but it is a productive time. The reason why I bring that up is because you have to watch your enemies. Because sometimes they would love to just catch you in your night season and make things worse. You know, when you're suffering depression and everything wants to jump on you when you're suffering depression, like y'all don't suffer depression. All right, I'll speak to me then. I mean, I'm going to sit right here. You know when you're suffering depression and everything tries to jump on you when you're suffering depression and you're just going, why? And this attack and this attack and this. And you just start getting aggravated and angry. Don't act like I'm the only one that does that. <laughs> y'all try to be cute. This ain't cute time. And the enemy would love to attack you right then. But there's something about destroying the hope that you get in the night season. Because in the night season, you start realizing, my father loves me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. That, you know what, even though I may not see him, I know he's there. See versus no. So the enemy who knows the word says, okay, smarty, you smart Christian. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So right when you get ready to embrace your joy, all of a sudden you look up and the enemy and says, I ain't done with you yet. How many of y'all know what that's like? Soon as you see the end of the matter, and all of a sudden you come out and the people around you are saying, 
Do you know that this is amassed against you? Do you know that this is going on? Do you know that this is going on? Do you know that this one has it out for you? And you just thought you were coming out of the night season. And it's in those moments that you have to be on guard to make sure that what you learned in the dark is not taken away by those who want to block you coming into the light. So this servant gets up early in the morning. I don't think they drink coffee at this time. I would think that for me, I would have to get up early, come out the tent, start the fire, put the coffee on. But this is, this is Israel, so I don't know if they drank coffee or just chewed on berries or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but I would imagine either way, most of us, I'm a day walker now, no longer work at night. So most of us that wake up in the morning aren't really expecting to see enemies at the gate. We come out, we let the dog out, we go... Okay, the neighbor's getting ready for work. The cops are all around the house. <laughs> I've had that happen at Hadley. Had that happen. Actually, I was going to work at night, and there were cops all around the house because of something that happened across the street. It's kind of unnerving when you don't expect to see that. So I would imagine as the servant comes out and says, oh, all right, we, oh, my God. Except by what he said, I'm pretty sure he wasn't saying, oh, my God. He ran back and told Elisha, there are men outside, there's an army outside, what are we going to do? And that is not to his discredit. Because those of us that are operating in sight would have the same answer. Lord, I see what is presented. What are we going to do about this? I see what is going on. What do I need to do in order to stand against it? And we go to God or we go to each other based on what we see, not what we know. And so Elisha has a whole different viewpoint on what's happening. See, Elisha, this isn't the first time that he's aware of a fiery chariot. He's seen it before. He's seen what it can do because it took up his master. So this isn't something new to him, nor does he have to see it to know it's there. See, there are some things in our life that are readily apparent, but may not always be the entire story. What you see may be a set of facts, a set of evidences, but what you see is partial compared to the truth of God's word. Because what God says is true. When he speaks, that's how it is, even though what appears may be contradictory to what he has said. Case in point, Jesus tells Peter to come to him on the water. We talk about this a lot. The very fact that Peter stepping off the boat is not what man is supposed to do. Not without a life jacket or a smaller boat or a strong ability to swim. Peter had none of those. He stepped off the boat on nothing but faith, knowing that his master called. And if his master called, then the circumstances didn't matter. I'm going to say that again. If the master called, then the circumstances didn't matter. Oh, I'm not supposed to walk on water. Oh, it's a storm. That doesn't matter. You mean to tell me that you're giving me the ability to walk on water? 
If you're following my call, I'm giving you the ability to follow me unhindered. I hope some of y'all hear that. Because there's a lot of impossibilities and a lot of difficulties based on what we see. But if we go based on what we know, he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he will provide according to his riches and glory. That he is Jehovah Jireh. That there is a name under, there's only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And that name is above everything that is named. That means that even though I see the diagnosis, I see the prognosis, I see the circumstance, I see the situation, but I know the King of Kings. I know who has a master plan, and I know whose hand I am in. Now, I'm preaching this, and some of y'all are probably looking at me going, well, we sat in a meeting with you last Friday. We know about what you go through. Yeah, welcome to the club. Every single one of us likes the idea of free fall in theory. <laughs> in practice, it's a whole different matter. Some of y'all jumped out of airplanes. I think Barrett and I were talking about halo jumping. Y'all know what halo jumping is. Not the game, Master Chief. <laughs> talking about high altitude, low opening. You're jumping out of a plane, not at 10,000 feet, 12,000 feet. You're jumping out of a plane at like 30,000, 40,000 feet. And that might be calling it, that, that might just be on the light side because the Air Force doesn't want to tell you how high they can go. And you jump out of the plane in rarefied air, you can't even breathe. And you're just, and as soon as you get to a certain, then you open your parachute. I'm not jumping out of the plane that's at 10,000 feet. What makes you think I want to jump out of the plane that's at 40,000 feet? Because I see that the only thing keeping me from falling under the power of gravity and striking that ground and making that final sudden stop that's usually where the fatality happens. It's not the fall, it's a sudden stop. I'm good. You mean to tell me I have to trust in, in, in this? I don't even see this. I didn't even pack this. You want me to trust this, 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 this parachute? I'm good. We don't even see the hand of God. Sometimes he asks us to go out knowing that his hand has us covered. Are we going to be like the servant who says, I see an army? Or are we going to mature into Elisha who says, greater are them that are with us than them that are against us? You say, well, I don't know if I could say that. I can look to these mountains and I don't see anything on top of them but Havelina. And I would say, you got really good vision to see Havelina on top of these mountains from here. However, we do have a word that each and every one of us, even though we have not seen chariots of fire, that we have not seen uh, miraculous things in the sky, we still have a word that each and every one of us can proclaim when we feel like we are outnumbered. And that is greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Am I saying don't feel outnumbered? No. Facts are facts. If I pull out this power cord over here and start chewing on it, the fact <laughs> Steve gives me a look. No. Stick to 9-volt batteries. 
the fact of it is electricity will bite. And if I put my mouth on that cord before somebody stops me, you'll be calling 911. That's a fact. Facts do have relevance. However, when the truth, and there is only one truth, of the Father speaks, the facts have to realign to affirm the truth. When Jesus told Peter, come, he just said one word, bo in Hebrew. But when he said that, that not only spoke to Peter, but that spoke to all of his circumstances and situations that this is what's in his will to do. It didn't stop the storm. It didn't stop everything else going on. The lightning still went. The wind still went. The waves still went. But Peter went on a word that was much greater than the natural order of things. And the only time that he succumbed to the natural elements is when he started putting them above the word. Y'all real quiet today. Must be that brisket. <laughs> he put the circumstance above the truth. You know, if I had more coffee, I'd preach this. But I know we got, you know, we got a roll. So, in your life, how hard is the tug of war between you know what God said, but you see what is going on? I know God said this, but what I see makes it difficult to trust in what he said, because I know what I see. I'm not harping on those who see with their natural eyes. Because believe me, we all go there in one form, fashion, or another. So I'm not saying anything about that. What I am saying is that you have to start catching yourself at some point to start trusting in God's word versus what you see with your own eyes. The Bible says in Corinthians, we walk by faith, not by sight. It's what God says which determines what the outcome will be. Not Pontius Pilate, not Fox, not the Romans, not the Sanhedrin, not anybody else. And as a matter of fact, when Jesus was talking to him, he told Pontius Pilate, you wouldn't have power to do anything except my father gave it to you. This is what you choose to do with it. And you're choosing, he didn't say this part, but for Pontius Pilate's decision to do or facilitate evil, God still meant that evil for good. You say that some of the evil that's going around me is meant for my good. Honestly, I think my time where I used to work had its benefits in developing me. I think that my time in dealing with certain circumstances has given me a certain edge. It ain't fun, but you know what? The end result makes me look more at the strength and the determination of God's promise than at the strength and determination of secular man. For each and every one of us, seeing can be a problem. Because if we go by what we see, see, sight means that it provokes emotional sensitivity. Not emotionalism, just emotional sensitivity. And emotional sensitivity leads to fleshly prioritization. You say, that's a lot of big words. Okay, Ricky Bobby, let me open up that front door and let a tiger in here. <laughs> All these grown men in this room are going to reduce to emotional sensitivity the minute you see a tiger walk in that front door. I don't care what God said. That's a tiger. 
<laughs> your emotions will well up. And the first thing you'll think of is not that we have dominion over the air and the power of the things going on and the beasts and whatever. Your first thing is, I see a tiger. And the flesh now says, I need to protect myself from getting eaten by said tiger. So you will see a mad dash for the door. And a couple of you might go through those windows. But nobody is going to go lay hands on the tiger. None of us in here are Siegfried and Roy. So because of that, and I'm, not, I'm using that as a, as a very goofy example to kind of bring to mind what that means. Because of that, when we act by sight, our flesh reacts to what we see. If it looks dim, well then we go look for comfort because there is nothing fun here. There is nothing beneficial here according to what we see. We know that God takes us through moments of suffering. How many of us would volunteer for suffering? Don't raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. But I'm pretty sure that most people on a good day don't go, I'm first in line for suffering, Lord. Take me through the valley. Take me through the... No, no, we ain't that holy and righteous. <laughs> I mean, we quote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie beside, you know, the green pastures and all that. We like that part. Most of us know Psalm 23 verses 1 and 2 by heart. But we stop short of that, though you lead me in the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That part doesn't sound fun at all. Why would you even take me down there? You're God. But sometimes going through that helps you to see that he's God. And when you start seeing and knowing in your spirit that he is God, now all of a sudden it doesn't matter about the enemies because you know there's a reason to be there. It doesn't matter about the valley because you know there's a reason to be there. It doesn't matter about the darkness because you know that there's a reason to be there. And so you go through it because you see what's against you, but you know who's walking with you. We have confidence, just like Elisha, because we trust in God's character. It's something that grows and develops on the inside of each and every one of us. It's not an overnight thing. We don't go, poof, I believe in God 100% totally and I can go through anything. Even those who have gone through years with the Lord still have things that they realize, I need to give this over and trust God. Do you know the interesting thing about faith? Well, one, faith is objective. It means that you believe in what God said what God did. You believe in something, therefore you act accordingly. That is faith. The uh, disciples one day said, Lord, increase our faith. And what did he do? <laughs> he kept talking to them. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which means that it's not so much, I got to grow my faith muscle. What he said is, here are more areas to put the faith you already have in. Because the principles are all the same. It's just what you do with them. You plant seed, you reap a harvest. Whether it's watermelon or a lot of watermelon 
or whether it's oranges, or whether it's roses, or whatever, you plant the seed, you reap a harvest. It's understanding the principle and then applying it in several different ways. So he increased their faith by sharing more of who God is so that they could believe more. Not believe and increase the belief, but believe on more things that God does. But trust is connective. I believe in God's word. But I trust the Father that walks with me. Now that vacillates from a day-to-day -day basis because I'm human. But I always reorient myself back to the fact that I believe in what he said, but I trust my God because of his character. I trust his person. I trust what he does. I trust who he is. I trust that he doesn't change. And so I know that if he brings me through something, that he is not only walking with me, but he has already set the destination on the other end of it. So when these armies amass around me, I keep in mind, I see what you're trying to show me, but I know something greater than what you even realize, that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So then I look and stand in the face of Goliath, in the face of opposition, knowing that I see what you present, but you don't see everything about me that there is. Some of us go to the, I'm going to stop meddling. Y'all go to the judge to plead like he understands all of who you are, but he ain't God. But our father knows everything, not just your past, but your present, not just your present, but your future and sees more about you than you even do of yourself. And when you go into battle or when battle comes to you and you look and see the battle, don't think, well, I ain't holy and I ain't where I am. Mm -mm, no, I know my father will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that I am covered by the blood. I know that I am filled with his spirit, the same spirit that rolled Jesus from the dead. So no matter what the outcome of this is, it can't take me away from the love of the father. You say, well, how do we handle these battles in these situations? I'm reminded of Moses, not Moses, Abraham. Abraham was obedient. Jesus, uh, Jesus, the father said, bring your son and uh, kill him on this mountain. And Abraham said, okay, and be obedient to your word. And he went on that mountain, three days journey. It wasn't an instantaneous thing. It wasn't something that he just woke up and said, I'm going to kill my son today. <laughs> it was a three-day journey, a pondering of that. I don't know about you, but if I'm given three minutes to think of something, that's kind of daunting. Three days to think of something drastic, I'm stewing in it. I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord. I, mm, I, mm, mm. You know, sometimes the groanings which can't be uttered. Because I don't know how to pray as I ought. Lord, I just... Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> they get up on top of the mountain. He goes through the process of wrapping the sun up like a sacrifice. Puts his son on there. Gets ready to put the, the fire to the wood. And the angel says, stop. Hold back your hand. God has seen your obedience. And tells him to lift up his eyes. And look to see the ram that God has already provided hidden in the thickets. Sometimes, whether we're in the flesh or whether we're in the spirit, we can operate with such tunnel vision that we are trusting and praying and asking God. And all we have to do is look up 
change our perspective to see what God has versus what the world has. To look at what we know and be reminded of what we know instead of ponder and meditate on what we see. Because the world is going to present nothing but a delusion and a half-truth. But our Father is truth. And when you know who He is and you know what He has, it doesn't matter if you see it or not, as long as you know that your Father has you covered, it doesn't matter what army amasses against you, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Try it the next time you see a situation. Believe me, myself included, because y'all might be preaching this to me in two days. Lift up your eyes. Stop looking at your problem. Acknowledge the problem. Those are facts. But lift up your eyes and look to the hills from whence comes your help. That is truth. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, once again, thank you for Elisha and even thank you for his servant. Because in them we can see not only what we, how we react in the flesh and seeing situations and being challenged by the situations just based on eyesight. But Lord, we thank you for the maturity of Elisha the background of Elisha, the life of Elisha, that through his example, we can go through life not only seeing what's presented, but knowing what you have, your protection, your providing, your provision, your justification for each and every one of us, your continual glory upon our lives. And as we look to that, Lord, help us to know, even if we don't see, and trust you in who you are, that as we battle those things which present themselves against us, that we walk in victory, even if it hasn't been carried out yet, because we know it will by your word. Thank you, Father, for everything that you bring us through. Help us to know you, not just see what's around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you all stand? There is a battle that goes on for his word in your life. Um, Deb had talked to the guys over here about being disruptive. Honestly, I, talk to, I would talk to everybody about being disruptive um, because you don't want to be a raven. And what that means, a raven, you don't want to be a raven. When God sent the sower out, he sowed the seed. Seed went out onto certain ground and because it wasn't accepted the ravens came up and gobbled it and you say well what does that mean for us that sometimes you can be a distraction from somebody else receiving that which they needed to hear because of our whatever it is that we're doing you don't want to be a raven you don't want to be a distraction from somebody else receiving the word of god but on a much bigger level there are so many things trying to snatch or block you from receiving the word because they know that if you receive, understand, internalize, and live by that word, you know it and it can't be taken away from you. And because of that, you're more dangerous because now you're not operating on eyesight. You're operating on knowledge. You're operating on what God has already imparted to you. So be aware when those things come up to try and steal the word from your life, to try and block it. 
whether it's distractions, whether it's each other, whether it's something going on in Uzbeka, Kazakhstan, or whatever the case may be. Make sure that that word is a priority in your life as God continues to reveal himself to you because he wants you to know him and let that knowledge of him override what the world tries to show you. Let's lift our hands for the benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen, Amen. and God bless you.